You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Hello and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Nick Miroff. I cover immigration and the Department of Homeland Security for The Post. Today I'm joined by Alejandro Mayorkas. He's the secretary of the Department of Homeland Security. And we're going to be discussing the southern border, immigration, and the fentanyl crisis. Mr. Secretary, welcome. Thank you so much, Nick. Thank you for having me. Let's jump right in. Um, I wanted to ask you, you know, this this fentanyl crisis that we that we wrote about in our series, uh, Cartel Rx, spans multiple administrations. Um, but during the pandemic, uh, this problem became significantly worse. We've seen fatal overdose deaths increase 94% since 2019. What's your assessment of the current state of fentanyl smuggling into the United States? Nick, I, I, I think your, your reporting uh, really spoke very powerfully about three uh, different elements of the challenge and uh, the solution. One is, of course, the human tragedy that fentanyl delivers. We see so many tragic deaths, including of the very young. Two, I think uh, we saw in your reporting, and we, of course, in the Department of Homeland Security and across law enforcement, see, unfortunately, the cruelty of the individuals, uh, the cartels who traffic uh, in this uh, death-producing substance. And three is the extraordinary dedication, tireless dedication and heroism of law enforcement that battles the cartels, that battles the dealers and traffickers, um, and tries to rescue uh, and prevent uh, victims uh, from becoming um, another tragedy. Uh, the, the problem uh, has only increased year in and year out uh, since I think um, about 2013, 2014. And um, with that, the intensity of our response has increased as well. We in the Department of Homeland Security have deployed uh, special agents of Homeland Security investigations, our frontline officers and agents of Customs and Border Protection, uh, not only domestically, not only at our border, but internationally for a defense in-depth strategy to battle the scourge of fentanyl. Mr. Secretary, as you know well, the Department of Homeland Security was created in the aftermath of the September 11th terrorist attacks that, that killed 3,000 Americans. That is the uh, same number of, of Americans who are dying every two weeks now from fentanyl. But I think a lot of people don't sense uh, a, a, the outrage or, or a sense of urgency um, from the government. What do you have to say to that? I, I would say that we have been um, acting with tremendous urgency, certainly uh, since I took office. Um, we have seized over 1.6 million pounds of precursor chemicals, the chemicals that are used uh, to manufacture fentanyl, the seizures of actually the fentanyl that has been produced has increased exponentially during the last two years. We have an across the board, full press, doubling down effort on uh, this very dangerous drug. I hope people realize how very dangerous it is, Nick, uh, at the very outset, of our discussion, some of the statistics were displayed on the screen. It's killing 
uh, people young and old. Well, I'm glad you brought up the supply issue. You have in the past talked about this as being a, a demand-driven problem, but I wanted to ask you, you know, given the incredible abundance of, of, these, of these seizures, both in terms of pre precursor chemicals and uh, fentanyl pills and powder being seized at the border, um, and the, 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 the cheap price uh, that we're hearing about, you know, um, fentanyl pills being sold on, on U.S. streets for as little as $4. Is, is, is it possible for an abundance of supply to drive demand, to create demand? Well, regrettably, Nick, we've um, seen a demand for um, illegal drugs in this country for decades. Um, and when um, we have uh, a challenge such as the pandemic, which causes so many mental health issues, uh, depression and the like, unfortunately, we see people turn to controlled substances, to uh, illegal drugs uh, as, a, uh, as what they think is a bomb, but is only a, an aggravating force uh, in their lives. Um, you couple that with what you've correctly identified as um, the cheap cost of fentanyl, as well as the strength of its poison, its toxicity, and we have uh, the tragic results uh, that we have seen in this country with over 107,000 overdose deaths last year, and more than 60% of those attributable to fentanyl. But what we are doing here in the Department of Homeland Security with our federal, state, and local tribal territorial partners is also attacking the supply. It is not just a demand issue. It is not just a supply issue. It is all of the above. And we are attacking the supply not only uh, in the interior of the United States, not only at our border, but in the countries of origin, uh, in Mexico, working increasingly uh, with law enforcement in Mexico, uh, by land, by sea, by air. We're attacking it with all our forces, all our tremendous capabilities, thanks to the incredible personnel that we have. Mr. Secretary, we got a, a lot of questions from, uh, from our audience, and I want to go to one right now. Um, Jules Schwartz in Ohio wants to know if there are plans for U.S. government-sponsored free distribution of naloxone. Um, and of course, that's the uh, opioid reversal drug that can save lives if administered in time. So um, the treatment element uh, of it is outside the, um, uh, the mission of the Department of Homeland Security. That is something for the director of our national drug control policy. I know that there are discussions going on now about the treatment that can be provided, that can be made available. Uh, I've read reports about schools actually making Narcan uh, available for emergency treatment uh, because regrettably, not only is fentanyl sold directly to individuals, but it's also used in concealed ways to lace other uh, drugs uh, to disguise the, the real, the gravity of the poison that fentanyl presents. Um, you know, we, one of the things that we have, we have other questions about harm reduction and, and late last year, uh, Governor Newsom of California, um, your home state, um, he vetoed legislation that would have allowed some California cities to have open supervised drug injection sites as part of a pilot program, um, that was meant to stem this incredible surge of fatal overdoses. Um, so I wanted to ask if, if this can't pass, if that this kind of policy can't, 
uh, pass in in the country's one of the country's most progressive states. Do you think it's a it's a it's a pipe dream to uh, to see comprehensive harm reduction policies with you know widespread support uh, across the country? I, I don't, uh, Nick. Um, uh, I think it's very important to keep at the harm reduction effort uh, to deal with the tr treatment side of the equation. But we here in the Department of Homeland Security uh, address the law enforcement uh, element of it. Our job is to stop the fentanyl from coming into this United States, from, uh, stop it on the streets, uh, make sure that it doesn't reach uh, people. That's what we're very focused on with all our might all our resources, not just our personnel, but we're increasingly using innovative technology and new processes to make sure that we interdict um, uh, fentanyl at its source. We spent a lot of time in reporting this series with uh, federal and, and, and state drug agents who talked about how overwhelmed they are. Um, uh, they've seen so much uh, suffering, so many deaths. Um, even though they're working, as you say, very hard to try to to try to face down this crisis, um, some law enforcement officials working at the border we spoke with estimated that they are only catching about five to ten percent of the drugs that are coming into the country. Um, you know, let's take a look at a, a video from our series that lays out some of these challenges. So we think that the cartels now they're getting their chemicals from. Asia or other places, then they're building it and are making it in labs in Mexico. When everything is a chemical that can be brought from five different countries and then you can make it in two hours in a hotel room in Tijuana, it's mobile. This is really where the bigger challenges are to law enforcement. Este les funcionaba como bodega y es donde tenían, almacenaban droga y vehículos. Las piñatas, una de las tantas formas que utilizaban para mover el producto, de, de mover las drogas de aquí y para enviarlas a Estados Unidos. Meter 10,000 o 20,000 pastillas en un vehículo, para ellos es relativamente sencillo en compartimientos. It's $1,000 an ounce for powder fentanyl, so they don't have to smuggle as much of it to make a profit. How do you find five ounces on a person, or even if they're in a car driving, right? without a canine alert, it's frustrating for all of law enforcement. Mr. Secretary, I was looking at the most recent CBP figures uh, on fentanyl seizures, and they showed, uh, as you know, a 53% increase month over month. Um, and that was uh, amounted to, to 3,000 pounds of, of fentanyl at the border in, in November alone. And that's, that's more than, that's the highest total ever, and that's more than CBP was, was detecting in the course of an entire year, just a few years ago. So I wanna ask, what needs to happen uh, in order for CBP to be able to detect more fentanyl and more of these hard narcotics at the ports of entry where uh, also, as you know, the vast majority of these drugs are, are, are coming into the country. Nick, let, let me answer your question directly, and then let me draw um, a step back, if I may. First of all, we are doing uh, that which needs to be done. Uh, the, the video very powerfully captured the challenges that law enforcement uh, faces. Um, the, the fentanyl is brought in in very difficult ways to detect. But how are we combating that? We have border 
enforcement security task forces at mail facilities to interdict um, the, the, the receipt uh, of, of fentanyl precursors. We use what we call non-intrusive inspection technology, technology that can see through material to identify where fentanyl is concealed, whether it's in particular packaging, whether it's in a passenger vehicle, whether it's in a commercial vehicle. The creativity and ingenuity of the bad guys is extraordinary, but our law enforcement capabilities are more so. And so we are using people, technology, processes to interdict the chemical substances as well as the finished product um, in the mail facilities, at the border, concealed in trucks, and also at sea and, and by air, interdicting drones and the like. Let me take a step back uh, as well, because I was a federal prosecutor for 12 years from 1989 to 2001. And I remember uh, working with law enforcement on the front lines in, at that time, interdicting an increasing uh, amount of cocaine uh, and uh, in various forms, in powder, in crack substances being peddled on, uh, on the streets. And at times, it felt like a very daunting challenge, uh, in the increasing use, the increasing number of casualties from then that uh, very dangerous uh, substance. We did not tire, we did not slow down in our efforts. We found new ways uh, to battle um, the, the spread of what was then a very dangerous controlled substance. It remains so, but it pales in comparison to fentanyl. That's exactly the tenacity and tireless dedication that we're employing to the challenge before us today. Well, I'm glad you brought up the, the non-intrusive inspection technology element. One of the missteps and, or shortcomings that we identified in the course of our reporting this series was this delay in the in the in the implementation of of NII or non-intrusive these 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 scanning systems at the ports of entry. There was a big uh, um, appropriation for for these systems back in 2019, and it's really only in the past year that we've started to see many of these systems come online. We know that the Civil Works costs for for uh, adding this technology had uh, come up had came up short and 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 slowed that implementation. So I want to ask you, what is the department and CBP? What, you know, what are they? What are you doing to make sure that these systems are are rolled out as quickly as possible and that the technology is is ready to be to be put in place and to interdict more fentanyl? So um, so Nick, just for everyone's benefit, non-intrusive inspection technology is really a remarkable uh, innovation. When a truck, for example, comes through a port of entry uh, at our border, and people should understand, it is not in between the ports of entry uh, that the majority of, of fentanyl is sought to be smuggled. It's not through the migrants that we encounter in between the ports of entry. It's through passenger vehicles, through commercial trucks at our ports of entry where the substance is concealed in compartments and this non-intrusive inspection technology, when a truck runs through it, when drives very slowly through it, we can actually see anomalies. We can see unusual packages or materials in between, hidden inside uh, a tractor trailer, a 
a, a truck's trailer and detect an anomaly and then search the truck and lo and behold, uh, discover fentanyl and take immediate law enforcement uh, action. We have accelerated our deployment of this technology. And in fact, later this month, Nick, we are uh, contracting, we're issuing a funding opportunity to really leverage artificial intelligence to couple with that technology to maximize our impact, our law enforcement detection, interdiction, and prosecution impact. But if this technology is so effective, why, why hasn't more of it come to the southern border faster? Well, I can't speak to the past. All I can speak to the is, Nick, uh, that we are accelerating our deployment of that technology as rapidly as possible. You rightly point out that that the vast majority of the fentanyl coming into the country is entering through these ports of entry or it's being seized at highway checkpoints. That is, it's coming in in vehicles, in passenger vehicles, in commercial trucks. It is not coming through the desert. Migrants are not carrying fentanyl by and large. But I do want to ask you, does the extraordinary wave of, of migration that we are seeing across the southern border, record numbers of, of apprehensions, uh, that CBP is reporting every month. Does it have an impact on the agency's ability to detect and and stop uh, illegal drugs from entering the country? Uh, no, no, it doesn't, Nick. I mean, we have a um, we have a workforce uh, that stays true to the mission uh, that is tireless. We have surged uh, personnel to the border not only in between the ports of entry, but at the ports of entry where we're deploying an increasing amount of technology. We have our field officers uh, at the ports of entry. We have our border patrol agents in between the ports of entry. Uh, the number of encounters does not take uh, our eye off the ball of battling the scourge of fentanyl. I wanted to ask about interagency cooperation. Um, as you know, uh, Homeland Security Investigations uh, which is part of DHS, uh, gets its its Title 21 Narcotics Investigation Authority from the DEA and the Department of Justice. Um, do you think that HSI should have its own independent Title 21 authority? And is that something you've been speaking to lawmakers about? Uh, Nick, uh, we work very closely with our partners at the Drug Enforcement Administration, the, the DEA. Uh, we do depend on their delegation of that Title 21 authority. Title 21 is the provision of the United States Code, the federal law uh, that allows for the investigation and prosecution of drug offenses. We do require a delegation at this point. I do strongly believe that Homeland Security investigations should have that authority itself. And we are hopeful that legislation will pass to give it uh, to us. It'll be a force multiplier in our effort uh, to combat fentanyl and other uh, controlled substances that are causing so much damage uh, in our country and beyond. Homeland Security Investigations is the primary criminal investigative agency within the Department of Homeland Security and has grown uh, in preeminence uh, over the years. Mr. Secretary, fentanyl production has really shifted uh, from China to Mexico. The president is going to be in Mexico early next week. Um, how would you assess the Mexican government's cooperation in helping uh, stop fentanyl trafficking and prevent fentanyl from entering the United States? Nick, so we continue to see um, uh, precursor chemicals um, originate uh, from China. 
we also see equipment used in the manufacture of fentanyl uh, originate from China, and therefore our interdiction capabilities uh, um, are driven accordingly. So we are uh, seeking to interdict the flow of the precursor chemicals and the equipment from China. But we're seeing it come to Mexico uh, increasingly, and the cartels are peddling uh, this poison uh, to our children and to our to our friends and neighbors here in the United States. We're working increasingly with the government of Mexico. I've met multiple times with Attorney General Gertz of uh, Mexico, uh, both here in the United States and in Mexico, and our uh, law enforcement cooperation is only growing. We have uh, transnational criminal investigative um, uh, units, the TCIUs, um, deployed in Mexico to work with our Mexican counterparts uh, to interdict uh, the, the chemicals, the equipment, uh, the, the finished product, the money, uh, that uh, the proceeds of illegal sales. We're, we're really battling all elements of the chain of criminality and the criminals, not just in interdicting the drugs themselves, but interdicting the flow of funds from its sale and the instrumentalities that they use. And if I could ask you to just quickly grade that cooperation, what would you, what would you, what kind of grade would you give it? What, where does it stand? We are, uh, Nick, we are working incredibly closely with our partners and that partnership is only strengthening uh, as we speak. Mr. Severi, what more does Congress need to do uh, to, to help address this crisis? Where else can the department get help? Nick, we're really grateful for the, the support we've received from Congress. I think you referenced earlier the fact that Congress uh, funded uh, um, uh, us as a, as a department to purchase 135 uh, new uh, non-intrusive inspection capability. Uh, you know, the, the technology, we're grateful for that. We need additional personnel uh, to man uh, that equipment. So what we're hoping for is additional funding for technology, uh, for personnel, uh, both here uh, in the US and to deploy internationally to, to reach the problem at its source. Uh, that's what really uh, we're hoping for and uh, we're continuing to press for it. And we really appreciate the support we've received thus far. We've been watching the House proceedings this morning, as maybe you have as well. What do you think are the prospects of comprehensive immigration reform coming out of this Congress? Nick, you know, I'm an undying optimist. On, on his very first day in office, uh, President Biden sent uh, to the Hill, uh, to Congress, a comprehensive package that would have meant so much to our ability uh, to, um, to really manage uh, the situation at the border, uh, to really uh, bring a broken, immigration system uh, uh, that hasn't been reformed for decades to really bring it into the present, the present day, not just from a point of view of enforcement, but also realizing the opportunities that immigration brings to our country. The labor need in this country is so gr great. We have 10 million um, job openings in the United States. I was reading about what Canada is doing to address uh, a million open jobs. They're bringing in about 1.3 million uh, uh, migrants to fill that labor need that cannot be met within their own borders. President Biden 
sent forward a comprehensive package on day one. Uh, it has not occurred yet. Uh, we haven't realized the reform that everyone understands is so desperately needed. I'm an undying optimist, and we're going to stay true to the fight to pass reform that our country needs and from which our country will prosper. Mr. Secretary, I want to ask, you know, the Supreme Court has blocked the administration's uh, attempt to, to end the pandemic uh, border restrictions, the Title 42 border, border restrictions. Um, they're going to be in place uh, for at least a few more months, as we know. Um, but I do want to ask, can this administration handle the potential surge uh, of migration along the border uh, when Title 42 comes to an end, um, given that that uh, we see CBP already struggling to, to manage the, the current volume of people crossing? Nick, there's no question that the, um, the number of encounters that uh, we are experiencing at the border is straining our system. Uh, and this harkens back to um, the question you previously posed, uh, which is we're operating uh, uh, within a system that is fundamentally broken. No one disagrees with that. We just can't seem to uh, agree upon the solution. And a solution is long, long overdue. Within the broken immigration system, uh, th uh, that we are operating. Um, we are managing uh, the, the number of encounters and we are prepared uh, to address the end of Title 42. We've been preparing for this since well uh, uh, beyond last year. I want to ask you about uh, uh, an anniversary coming up, and that is the two-year anniversary of the January 6th attack on the Capitol. Um, in your assessment, uh, what threat does domestic uh, violent extremism uh, pose to the United States at, at this point? And what efforts is the department and the administration making to combat it? Uh, Nick, uh, both the director of the FBI, Chris Ray, and I have spoken about this, as well as the, um, uh, the head of the National Counterterrorism Center, uh, Christine Abizade. Um, Domestic violent extremism is one of the greatest terrorism-related threats that we face on the homeland. Uh, just on New Year's Day, uh, we, we saw uh, law enforcement officers attacked uh, by an individual radicalized by a foreign terrorist ideology. That is not domestic violent extremism. We classify that as homegrown violent extremism. And I mentioned that just to make the point uh, that the threats of yesterday remain the threats of today, but regrettably, new threats have emerged. And one of the greatest threats that we face uh, in the terrorism realm uh, on the homeland is the threat of domestic violent uh, extremism. And we are doing a tremendous amount as a Department of Homeland Security under the leadership of President Biden in an all of the federal government effort, working with our state, local, tribal, territorial partners, and also the private sector. This really requires an all of society effort. We have a, a grant program, a terrorism prevention and targeted violence uh, a grant program where we are equipping and empowering local communities to address the threat within their own neighborhoods. We um, identified and created a domestic terrorism branch within our Office of Intelligence and analysis to bring greater focus to this. 
I identified domestic violent extremism as a national priority area in our greater grant programs. We have a newly formed center prevention programs and partnership that is developing new models with local communities to identify individuals who may be descending uh, into violence by reason of an ideology of hate, uh, a, a false narrative, a personal grievance to develop new prevention models. We're doing so much as a department with our partners across the federal government and in communities across this country. Mr. Secretary, many challenges on your plate. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Uh, thank you for joining us uh, here on Washington Post Live today. Thank you so much, uh, Nick, and I'm incredibly grateful for um, uh, the attention you bring to the issues uh, that we are addressing, and I'm uh, incredibly grateful to the men and women of the Department of Homeland Security who, who keep the American public safe. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.